We didn't really introduce ourselves, should we? Y'all could. They know who I am. They know me. Welcome to the Hashing It Out podcast, where we talk to the tech innovators behind blockchain infrastructure and decentralized networks. Your hosts are Dr. Corey Petty, currently doing research at Status and waiting for other people to keep up. Maybe those businesses need to stop being bitches. Jesse Santiago, a former electrical engineer now working on decentralized storage at Status. Chat in your hat like a, as a Happy Meal toy. And with the deep voice and the deep questions, Dee Ferguson. That's not what it set out to be. That's, how dare you? And I'm the Hashing It Out showrunner, Christian Noguera. In part one of our hardware episode, our fearless hosts talk to Rick Dudley at Vulcanize and TJ Rush of Trueblocks. I will say that it was less about what I noticed particularly from the interviews and more of the trend that I see that's a lot more grand than just crypto. And that is that knowledge of hardware, I think is gonna start to get extremely specialized more than just crypto, like even more so than it already is. Well, like when I was a kid, I remember going to Radio Shack with my pops and going to Fry's with my pops. And he would make up a lie to my mom and be like, oh, I gotta go to Fry's again. This is gonna be terrible. And we would be in fries for like three hours looking at computer components, like looking at little stuff. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to build a chipset that controls the garage door and links the garage door to the Wi-Fi. Da, da, da. And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but this is interesting. And he, my dad knew about all that stuff. And he taught me how to like build a computer. He's like, you need a motherboard. You need some RAM. You need some cards. It's not hard. And he was like, here, this is what this does. Look on the card. This little part right here is like a little bus. And he would tell me about all this stuff. And I was like. Okay, uh, this is a little bit over my head. I'm 12, but uh, keep it going. And now let's look at the trend. Fries is closed. Radio Shack is closed and has been converted to a crypto exchange. I'm not going there, but that's real. Uh, nobody who has the knowledge can easily access these parts anymore. And then it's even getting to a point where it's like, if you ask for computer chips and stuff like that, they're going to be like, what do you need this for? What are you doing with all that? What, what are you building with that stuff? Right? So it's like I'm seeing this trend where crypto is trying to slow down things because I think things are advancing rapidly fast. And when crypto introduces a hold on, let's slow down. You got to remember your own private keys. You got to run your own node. You got to build your own stuff. You've got to do some of this stuff on your own. Whereas we've accelerated so fast, it's like... Nobody wants to. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. I don't care what's in my phone. What parts are in my phone? I don't care. Give me a phone. Did you just say, right? I'm going to talk about Rick and TJ and not say a single I'm word about I'm talking Rick and TJ. about, hold up, slow down. By the way, this is very us. This is very us. This, this is, is very going. us. This is what we do. This is Got what it. we do. So, and so what I'm saying is, is neither one of them got into the nitty gritty details about the hardware needs to build a node for a blockchain from scratch, which is what we're trying to get to the surface. What do we need at these layers, the hardware layer? Neither one of them said anything. They were just I, like, I gotta neither jump one in. of them. I got to Go jump ahead. in. You are right. And this is a byproduct of America shipping out all its foundries and fabrication for all chips to China. We don't know how to make anything anymore in terms of like <laughs> chip fabrication. What I, I'm... I'm I'm I generalizing it's it's not true. 
but when I, when I look at the accessibility of learning a programming language all across the world, the ratio of people who probably can develop some sort of familiarity with developing, uh, like software development versus hardware fabrication, uh, it favors software development. There is zero cost for writing a line of code and, and, or many lines of code and deleting it. But when you're designing a chip using Eagle CAD or, or, uh, any sort of CAD software to, you know, lay out parts on, on PCB, you have to send that, that file off to China to get it made. And so when, when we were listening to TJ discuss hardware, all he said was, you need a, like, I need a high-end gaming machine. And that's all, that's, that's all it took for me to realize we don't know anything. And by we, I like, I mean, people who are developing software in this space care very little for the hardware and they're just shooting it off to VPSs on Amazon or Google or Microsoft because that's enough to get away with saying something is decentralized by seemingly writing the software that could potentially be decentralized if the hardware know-how and hardware was commercially accessible to more people from a financial standpoint and from an availability standpoint. Because like you said, uh, I'm in Atlanta. There used to be a Tiger Direct store. It's no longer there. Fry's, it was there a few years ago. I used to go to it all the time here in Duluth. Gone. Radio Shack. Bingo. Like, yeah, the, the only same thing time, we have now is Micro Center. At the same time, so you're talking about, it's it's it's, it's kind of almost, it's almost ironic, or not ironic, but whatever. That we'll, we'll see what it, we'll see what it is after I talk about it. Uh, we are making software for generalized hardware, and when you do something that is made for generalized hardware, um, it's very easy to run as a VPS, and that's also because of those those constraints that you need high high uptime and some people's. Um, ISP or power delivery isn't stable enough to handle the requirements of the node that you need to run. That being said, like Rick pointed out that like if we wanted to do this well and have sufficient decentralization, then we'd make an ASIC and distribute that ASIC or right, specialized hardware, right? And so then you just control the distribution of that hardware based on the level of decentralization you want. But if you build something for generalized computing, then the ease in which you can just spin up a node from cloud services is so high that that's what everyone's going to do because you can automate it, you can scale it, you can do all this other cool stuff that's really hard to do at home. And so there needs to be a large, much larger narrative around getting people to run stuff at home, which is what DapNode's trying to do in terms of just buy a node, it's configured, right? Um, I also like kind of like as a complete different aside, the nonchalance in which Rick's like, oh, we can do this. We, this is This is the answer. Yeah. And I, I don't think it's that easy, but it may be. And I, if it is, I don't know why, like, no one's listening to him. He said, because once you intertwine money, then you're not going to go down the ASIC route, right? Because he said, if you want a, a blockchain that's not going to be centralized at any point, don't assign money to it. Don't have a, a an incentive that you can extract 
Yeah, the main point he had was there's billionaires and there's poor people. So if that's the case and there's value associated with getting access to it, then you're automatically imposing some asymmetry to the distribution. Got to make an ASIC for the poor people that the rich people don't want. But at the same time, like at the same time, like that's fine. Like it's not about everything is decentralized completely. Everything is fair. It's sufficient for distributing power such that you limit the amount of influence an asshole in the community can have. Mm. All good takeaways. I love how TJ kept saying like, I love this stuff, but everything I talk about is negative. <laughs> well, that's just because he's so bitter. Like both of them are kind of bitter, to be honest. They've been building stuff for a long period of time. And not getting the attention either one of them deserve, in my opinion. It's really hard not to get bitter the more time you spend doing the same thing, right? I think that's why, I think ultimately that's why retirement exists. It's like, ooh, 20 years, it's time. It's, I can't do this anymore. What is that kid even talking about? Right? Like, I think they've been doing this for 10 <laughs> years, right? So they're at the halfway mark, still can't see the finish line, and they're like, God, I can't. CoinDesk is a dumpster fire. Twitter's what they're a dumpster both fire. Laconic just released the website. So Rick literally just released his website that has information about what he's been working on for the past four years. Yeah, no, that probably took him a lot of energy given the, the vibe from the interview. Took him a lot of energy. It came from us. That's where he got it. Okay. For sure. The bitterness? No, the energy to, <laughs> oh. to, to start pumping out all the work he's been doing. More broadly, he's like, you know what? Pumped. I am important. I am doing cool stuff. It's time to release. We get the people That's right. We need to find everybody who's disgruntled with the space that's been working and just bring them on the show and get them. I know some curmudgeons. I can find some good curmudgeons. Get them pumped. Get I feel them like everybody becomes a curmudgeon. Like, look at our Slack. Everybody like me. is jaded. <laughs> no, not Joe. Joe is not jaded. Joe is like, this is the best time to be alive. No, no, like everybody has like both sides. Everybody is one hand super jaded, but then on the other is like, we could still make something useful. That's crypto. Yeah. It's, it's, we are so callous from yeah. the the suffering that we've 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 had over the years <laughs> that I've lost lost too many hundreds of thousands of dollars. Literally. <laughs> yeah yeah like it's painful it's it's crazy that it's so painful now it's just like oh you're you're hitting that scab that doesn't even hurt anymore that scab don't come off that that scab doesn't <laughs> that doesn't hurt anymore but um yeah i mean i love i liked uh rick's in rick's interview for me was a lot more enlightening because i found out oh there's a lot of things we could be ha could have been doing to make this easier on everyone but we're just choosing not to because of reasons, dot, dot, dot. Like, it's like, oh, why don't we just make it a maximum size and then come up with a standard to archive and let's do that. Let's do that regenesis thing. Let's do regenesis. People don't want something that makes it more accessible and easy. They want it to be, to make it worth more. And that typically means making it shittier. Right? <laughs> I don't know if that's advice. Like, that like I would follow. Like, think about it. Think about it. Like, like, like if the way that they're scaling Ethereum, it, it's it's like it's it's not scalable. 
You heard it here first. You can say it out loud. Trying to win, make it shitty. Like, 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 seriously, like your token becomes worth more the shittier you scale. I don't think that's true. No, okay. Like, I think what's happening is that the focus is not on things that are. The focus is not on like that type of scale. There's so many different types of scale, so many different types of centralization, and the focus, for the most part, is so tunnel visioned on one or two of them token price go up how to make that go up it's yeah but like ingest the network and don't provide a solution that eases like there isn't a solution that scales that right it's just creating another bucket right evm clones and then just pulling transactions over to mainnet but one thing that was really interesting about what an interview that we did and this is a hot take you're not gonna get this juice yet audience but an interview that we just did is that sometimes we do just get another bucket and you know put it where the water is leaking. I mean, buckets are really good at filling up. Putting the, the, stuff the, in. The use case of a bucket is, is pretty yeah. straightforward. If you haven't listened to part one of the hardware episode, go back and take a listen. But now, part two with Paul Lansky and Edu Antunia of Dapnote. Welcome to the show. Um, we can start off by y'all giving us the kind of general rundown of who you are, how you got into this ecosystem and what Dapnode is. All right. I'll get started. Um, cool. So my name is Lansky and, uh, I've been with Dapnode since 2019. Um, and Dapnode is basically a, uh, free open source software that helps people run nodes. So Edu can explain it better because um, uh, he's a founder of Dabnode. But uh, yeah, that, the idea behind Dabnode is that everybody should be able to own the access to the, um, the centralized networks that they want to participate in. That we shouldn't need third parties in order to access the blockchain, to submit transactions to the blockchain or to query the blockchain in any sort of way. So assuming or uh, acknowledging that the biggest problem for this is that people really don't have the technical knowledge and it can be quite hard to maintain um, nodes by yourself. Dabnode make, makes it extremely easy um, by putting a UI um, and taking care of everything in the background. It has auto updates. It has um, a VPN to connect to this particular server that may sit on your kitchen or in your living room or on a cloud server. Um, uh, to access via VPN so you can immediately access the endpoints that are uh, hosted in this machine. And it also has a beautiful decentralized DAP store um, where uh, you can install new packages by a, a mouse. So you can click and point and install. Um, and the cool thing about this, this, um, this DAP store, which is kind of like the key thing of DAPNode to make it easy, is that it's completely decentralized as well. Great explanation, Paul. Uh, well, I am Edu, one of, of the founders of, of Dabnot with uh, Jordi, Valina, and Griplin. Um, mainly, um, we realized in 2017 that even we have these new decentralized technologies, we have uh, we have started to create these smart contracts things and also uh, even MakerDAO at that, at that moment. Um, we have been using the technology in the wrong way because we are still having infrastructure in the hands of, of centralized providers. So 
the, the feeling was that we we were committing the same mistake start in the past so nothing were changed at that moment um so so mainly that we realized that we uh need to figure out how we can make easy for anyone to run out of home so at the very beginning of that note we we saw that um, a lot of people uh, start to run in notes with Damnot, but only people that believe in 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 this philosophical idea of uh, censorship resistance and all the properties of decentralized technologies. But uh, uh, that is why we try to try to figure out how we can improve this and, and make more people running this. And, and one of the reasons was uh, to make as simple as possible, as Paul explained it. Uh, but that was not enough, or that is the experience that we had in the past. Uh, that is why we try to add more value uh, to users. I mean, if you run a node at home, you are not only preserving your privacy, you are also getting some revenue. And that was, uh, I think, the power, power reasons to, to make this happen. Have you heard about DraftKings Marketplace? It's the place to snag the latest digital collectibles across sports, entertainment, and culture. DraftKings has released their first ever NFT fantasy game, Rainmakers Football. It's the only NFT fantasy game licensed by the NFLPA. Now you can collect the hottest player card NFTs while playing free for millions in prizes. Right now, everyone can get their first full roster starter pack for free. And playing is simple. Buy, sell, bid, and win player card NFTs of the biggest names in the game through regular drops and auctions on DraftKings Marketplace. Craft lineups of athletes from your NFT collection and earn points for touchdowns, receptions, and more just like daily fantasy football. Build your NFT franchise and enter free Rainmakers football contests all season long to compete for millions in prizes. Download the DraftKings Daily Fantasy app now and sign up with promo code BITCOIN. Click the Rainmakers tile and opt in to get your first full roster starter pack for free. Plus, play for millions in prizes all football season and build the ultimate NFT fantasy franchise with Rainmakers Football. That's promo code BITCOIN. Build, play, win only at DraftKings. Contest entries dependent on type and number of NFTs held. Eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. Over the course of the time frame that y'all been working on Dabnode, um, how has the compute resources that are required to run these networks changed? And how has it forced you to adapt teaching people how to run these various services appropriately or like provision the right amount of resources appropriately or even just making sure that people have access to the right compute resources memory ram network etc yeah that is a very good question and just to put numbers in the table um the first time that i created the proof of concept of that note uh soon uh full note uh it was around 80 gigabytes of, of this, this space and right now we are close to one terabyte so um everything has changed a lot in in during these years not the ram too much maybe a little but the ram was more or less um in the same level but the hard drive things and also the ssd um every time we need more um hard drives or or faster ones um, the thing is, uh, well, it, it happened in Ethereum, for example, that at some point they decide to increase the gas limit. So that means that um, you need to process more transactions per block. So if you don't have a good hard drive, you can 
it's going to take a lot of time to synchronize um, the chain. And I think people from the community realized that that was a problem from the very beginning. Um, but also, if we compare that with Bitcoin, Bitcoin the, the growing of Bitcoin is more limited and it's, it's quite quite good to synchronize, um, even it takes time, but the, the problem in Ethereum is, is, is uh, worse than the Bitcoin case. But also new networks are, are, I mean, they are giving a lot of transactions per second because of the amount of hardware they need to use. So um, in the last years, we haven't seen how this uh, space has grown a lot. And, um, and the other thing is that when people run a DAB node, the thing is that they want to run several things, not just one. So you need to be, you need to have enough space for, for all these applications that you would run. One of the things that uh, also realized at the beginning of this is um, people usually use Raspberry Pis to run these networks and, and to try it at home. And that's really great. And it's a perfect for this. But the thing that usually happens is that they install, um, this new protocol that they love it, I don't know, or Bitcoin or whatever. And uh, and then they, after one week, they decide to move to another one. So that is not sustainable in, in, in the matter of having nodes in networks. So that is why we, when we envision this, we try to um, have enough resources to run several of, the, of these networks. But obviously, um, as they are growing, it's hard to maintain this level. And, and at some point, people need to choose uh, between between them. So this is making it more hard for for users at the end. Um, I know that there are efforts to create snapshots of some blockchains, or there are prune versions. But um, making users aware of this and, and take care of this is is not easy from from the point of view of usability for sure. Some final thoughts from Rick Dudley and Vulcanize. I think blockchain systems in general or the whole idea of them was that uh, you get out of them what you put in. And that's a fair, assuming that there's a fair distribution of how you can put in and it's a good mechanism for getting out based on that, then it's a fair system that can't be cheated, right? And then that allows you to build digital scarcity based on that assumption. You get in what you, like you get out what you put in. Uh, the only problem is like, our assumptions on the fairness of that have changed over the course of time and the access to the resources to put into the system has centralized. And what I'm interested in is how do we get back to, how do we build systems that are more fair like that? And if, and like, and how are we limited by their scale? So like in the event we build a system or like we think about building a system that is, you get in what you put out. Can that system scale? And if not, what are the limiting factors to it? So no, I, I don't think, I mean, when we talk about scale in the contemporary sense, I don't think a system like that can scale, right? So I think you could scale a system like that maybe to millions of users. And that's, an, that's extreme. I, I would expect it to start to fail around a thousand. But maybe if you, you know, tuned and tweaked everything over a period, a long period of time, you could get up to a million users. And, and again, with users, to your point, one, you know, one CPU, one vote, one user, one node, sort of egalitarian, um, still hash linked data structures like a blockchain. Um, I think you could do that with a with with I think you could do a combination of like a VDF or proof of work and 
uh, verifiable delay function or and proof of stake or proof of authority. Um, so like a combination somewhere, you know, maybe maybe VDFs and proof of work and POA or whatever. So I think those systems actually work. Uh, I think that's possible. I don't think that proof of stake proof of stake doesn't really provide an equivalent civil resistance to proof of work. And I think that that's really confused. And I don't think there's anything else. I mean, so like if you look at Chia, like Graham Cohen's project where he does proof of space time, that's like a, a really brilliant um, recreation of proof of work on a via a different medium as, as opposed to computate, uh, you know, hash grinding, um, pure hash grinding. But um, there are very few of those out there available. And I mean, it took Bram, who's a very clever person, a very long time, relatively speaking, to uh, figure that out. I, I don't see a whole lot of those floating around, frankly. Um, and so, yeah, you could scale out. So yeah, that's an interesting point, actually, thinking about proof of space time. Um, and could you scale it out in a more egalitarian way? Yeah, but then you have to get rid of rewards, basically. You have to really cap. I mean, rewards have to be capped in some odd way that I, I haven't really thought about much. But yeah, if you have rewards, it's like it's like too tempting. You know, if the rewards make economic sense, like a reward is almost like a gift that you give for to someone saying like, thanks, you know, I appreciate you, man. It shouldn't be like I bought this yacht off of rewards, right? That's not going to work. With a Zengo crypto wallet, you can buy, trade, and earn up to 8% interest on crypto assets while enjoying 24-7 customer support. And no more private keys. With Zengo, you'll get two mathematical secret shares, one stored on your mobile device, the other on the Zengo server. Download the Zengo app and use the code TRADEZEN at sign up to get $10 back on your first purchase. So we've been having conversations with a few other people and um, we've come to almost uh, invisible consensus over the fact that when you throw in monetary incentives or financial incentives in order to power these networks, you have centralization of validation by these node providers through you know higher amounts of staking required of the token um, or you know just increasing the minimum hardware requirements of these nodes. It seems to me that everybody agrees that uh, there's an expiration date when you have financial incentives bootstrapped to a network, and they kind of suggest that in order to have a network with any real longevity, it has to be limited to uh, a community that is specifically tailored for what that transaction activity of that network would be and it probably shouldn't be financial so does the market have an appetite for something like that yeah um yeah that's a that's a really good question and uh and yeah so we've i, I have the feeling that when i joined dab nodes most of our uh node runners were um voluntary altruistic node runners they they really enjoyed the Ethereum ecosystem. They wanted to participate. Um, some of them were developers, so they actually had a use for um, for running a node. But the greatest majority were enthusiasts. Um, you're absolutely right that as soon as we threw um, the 
the beacon chain and the ability for everybody to uh, to, to earn um, thanks to proof of stake, um, we got huge amounts of interest on on running nodes um, in the centralized locations because everybody thought that they could make some money off of it, uh, which they can. Um, then we got uh, centralization on the likes of exchanges, on the likes of Lido. Let's not forget that before um, you already had this proof of work centralization. Um, so I'm a bit comparing apples to oranges here because we're, we're talking about node running on one side and uh, and validation on on uh, on another side or, or proof of stake uh, on the other side. Um, so my, my opinion in this is, is uh, very similar to what you hinted at. We're going to go towards um, communities running uh, their own their own nodes um, because you need incentives in order to run nodes. Um, if if these nodes are not incentivized, it's very hard that anybody would run it. And these incentives can be financial or can be of any other kind. And more and more, we're going to move into um, understanding decentralization as um, something that has value um, because the centralization um, uh, allows you to have uh, uncensorability, allows you to have uh, privacy, a certain amount of privacy, um, allows you to have uh, self-sovereignty over your data and over the data of your community, um, allows you to have a lot a lot more freedom um, on uh, on who controls the data and the machines that that you're uh, that you're using every day for your services. So we will move towards um, some sort of non-financial incentives for run for running nodes, which is analogous to your question of will we move to uh, non-financial incentives? Yes, uh, I think so. Um, but this needs to go hand on hand with this realization or with this education um, that, uh, that that there are benefits that that these incentives exist. Um, I agree with Bolting vision. Um, the, for me, the thing here is um, it will be awesome, but uh, to create this, you have a you need to have a strong community to to run in us. Otherwise, I mean, at the end, um, just because you believe in the network that you are running validators uh, is an incentivization. But uh, the thing is, if you don't have a economical incentive to make that happen, the thing that that can occur is that. Um, maybe some attackers want to attack the network because of that. I mean, if you don't get enough validators on your networks because, I mean, you don't have enough community or they don't have enough reasons to do it, then you are surrendered maybe to these kind of attacks. So try to find the balance with it, the right incentives to run nodes and also um, and also have a, a enough security in your network is, is an important balance. Um, my feeling is that you can get some people to run nodes for sure for your network. Uh, even I mean, small ones or big ones, and you can move to some community, but to achieve the security of the network is harder than just wait for people without any reason to run nodes. Yeah, I was going to say that in a, in a manner of speaking. It's, it's uh, like, uh, for me, it boils down to who gives a shit. So, like, if you have a network of people who need to do something on a blockchain, um, if doing that thing is important, then they'll run the nodes. Um, it's when you need to add that additional level layer of security 
for Byzantine actors if people want to stop what you're doing or if there's a potential for people to stop what you're doing to get other people to just add a bunch of resources, hopefully through incentives because they don't necessarily give a shit about what's happening on the chain. Um, it's like this kind of this balance between why are people running the infrastructure or the compute resources required to secure that infrastructure in a trustless way. So you're not like looking at any, any particular individual to do it. And depending upon the community and the stuff going on in that community kind of changes those incentives in a lot, in a lot of ways. And, and I, and I, and what I've seen over the course of the history of blockchain right now is um, a lot of people don't care about the actual running, running the infrastructure unless there's an incentive, which means there's not a really good utility for running this stuff over letting someone else run it unless they can make money. And if you Google this stuff or watch most of the YouTubes, like the narrative is around, how do I make money off of this? Not how do I use this to do something that I couldn't do in the past? And until that changes, I don't really see that that changing either. So like economic incentives will basically just keep people interested until we have something better to do with it. With a ZenGo crypto wallet, you can buy, trade, and earn up to 8% interest on crypto assets while enjoying 24-7 customer support. And no more private keys. With ZenGo, you'll get two mathematical secret shares, one stored on your mobile device, the other on the ZenGo server. Download the ZenGo app and use the code TRADEZEN at sign up to get $10 back on your first purchase. There's five of us here. Incentive has been said a lot. So my question is to all of this is a general poll. Uh, what would incentivize you to run this hardware for a network? Cool people like ham radio and like other forms of communication. They have no incentives baked into them other than you can communicate with cool people who do cool things. I think if we had more exposure to figuring out where the people who are doing those cool things and where they're at and, you know, maybe you have to run like uh Maybe you have to run an IPFS node to connect to like uh, a discussion board, um, you know, like I've seen some projects um, trying to do. Um, I'm sure people would find their way on. I found my way onto IRC when I was like nine or 10 in the 90s. So I'm sure people can find their way onto uh, cool discussion boards if cool people advertised where they were at. What about you, Lansky? Um, at a personal level, a very similar, a very similar response than uh, as, as Jesse. Um, cool projects, things that that I really want to support. Um, but I would add that they need to be dead simple, dead simple. Like they need to add zero effort to 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 my to my normal day life. Um, if I can support an NFT collection that I love by pinning their content in my uh, IPFS node. Just make it so I just click it, and it's the collection. The entire collection is pinned on my IPFS node. Um, uh, I think this is the same reason why people run Matrix servers to um, to chat with their mates. Um, Discord is kind of changing that, but they have stickers. So, yeah, I mean, if you ask me, um, I think we need to distinguish between two things here. One is the if you are storing real value uh, like Bitcoin or Avalanche or Near, or if you is simple uh, IPFS node that 
stored data and it's not i mean it's not going to happen an attack on that but um but for me the way to i think we we shouldn't surrender to the idea of not having hardware at home and running a nodes uh i think the way to achieve this is um i am more more or less aligned with paul obviously but uh, just to inform the message, uh, for me, the community is critical for this. Um, and and the, the thing that we realize is that at the end, um, these uh, solo stakers or people that are running uh, nodes are competing against centralized service providers. And, and it's an unfair battle. Um, so the idea of, of having this community of, of uh, node runners and put all, all them together and put in the same table at the big players is important. So they don't feel alone. That so it's something that can happen at some point. I also believe that maybe you don't have a reason to run a blockchain, but uh, maybe uh, just one blockchain. But if you start to add in more and more and more things, I mean, I run three blockchains, IPFS nodes, and, and at the moment that you put more things on top of this hardware, it makes more sense because it's not an extra effort for you in most of the cases, um, and you are providing more value. So if we, that was the, the original idea, to make it as simple as possible to run as much as you can. Uh, so if they if if they don't have to spend this time or this effort doing, it's going to be easy for them. And just to mention one, I mean, uh, in the original idea of Danut, we envisioned this uh, as a router. Uh, the idea of Danut was kind of having a router at your home. Uh, we call it at some point the gateway for the three, uh, Web3 world. So that will be, I think, an ideal solution in the future or in the dream world. To have a router at home that is um, deep Danut, that is running nodes, you are not taking too much time to take a look to it. It's working and you are the, the networking that you believe and since it's, it's not giving too, too much effort and even can provide you a small um, reward is is um, the way to finally um, run this hardware at home. It's like uh, your fridge or your microwave, having something easy and that takes not much space on, on your on your home is the only way to make that happen. Um, also, I know Paul had some ideas of kind of uh, having an Alexa or something like that because if we start to figure out what are the devices that are now being buy for people to put at home, there is not too much uh, recently, but this, this kind of um, um, Echo or Alexa things and also the, the vacuum, not too much. So we need to try to figure out if we can bring this in a Asian manner or, or something that provides more valuable than just run notes for the users. I'd say for me personally, um... The combination of things. One is I'm a nerd and I like playing with these things, but also it's like uh, we talked with um, TJ Rush, and one of the things that he said is that when I have the data locally, I don't need the internet. And I'm really fascinated by this concept of of trying to make online communities closer to the experience of physical communities, and if I want to have that type of concept you need a level of resiliency and not relying on people outside of the community to provide access to the community and you can only do that if you have the data locally so for instance like i don't want to lose my ability to talk to a group of people because someone at cloudflare 
pushes a bad firewall change and cuts out half the internet in my country. Or, and, and, and if you then take that to um, a community that operates in a regime that has a group of people that wants them to not do those things, then it becomes more and more important that they don't rely on third parties and other services um, to participate in whatever the activities they're doing in their community. And I think not only am I curious about this in terms of building things like that, that are close, that make digital communities closer to real communities, but also I think it's important to be able to provide those types of options because they literally do not exist right now. And so like, that's why I want to run stuff is to it, like push towards that type of internet where I don't have to wait for someone to tell me something I could do the process of running a few services on my computer and other people doing the same thing allows me to do that with the people I would like to do it with. And the way you look at the internet today is literally asking someone permission to do something in order, in order to like just participate in talking with somebody or any type of community activity. And I don't, I don't like, I don't like that really. And, the only way to go against that, in my opinion, or to build a future where that's not the case, is to build the decentralized networks that don't require that. All good answers. Um, mine would be money. So, um, <laughs> just throwing it out there. I mean, I look. I, I we have to, in my opinion, centralization is like a natural thing. We have to find a way to fight a natural occurrence of things. Cause just take your example, Corey, if there's a small community, um, you know, let's take it back some, some centuries, like only one of them is going to be a Smith. Not all of them are going to Smith. Like he's not going to be like, yeah, come on over to my crib. I'm going to teach you how to Smith. And then you could Smith your own things. You could Smith your own shovels. He's good. I'm going to go, no, man, I don't even want to Smith my own shovels. I'm just going to give you a couple of schmeckles and then you smith the shovel for me. And he's like, ah, it's ah, not the way it's supposed to work. Like you've got to smith your own shovels. Like people naturally centralize because it just makes everyone's life easier. Like I got a plumber coming this weekend. I don't want to know how to plumb. There's shit in those pipes. He went through a lot of hard work to learn how to plumb. So I'm paying him to plumb, probably a, a massive premium, but whatever, that is what it is. So I think if if we're going to stand to make things decentralized, you've got to decentralize it based on like the, the, the smoothest way is to get people to do it for money. Because they'll be like, oh, yeah, I'll run this giant stacks of hardware that I don't need to know how to run uh, if you pay me. Um, and then we've got to define the rules around that. Because if, if, if you don't, then it's going to naturally centralize. Then the people that know and have the skills are going to gate those skills with dollar signs or, or euro signs. But those are pretty interchangeable nowadays. Am I right? Economy. Ouch. With a ZenGo crypto wallet, you can buy, trade, and earn up to 8% interest on crypto assets while enjoying 24-7 customer support. And no more private keys. With ZenGo, you'll get two mathematical secret shares, one stored on your mobile device, the other on the ZenGo server. Download the ZenGo app and use the code TRADEZEN at sign up to get $10 back on your first purchase. I see on your side you've got three different 
uh, or two different models. One's like 16 gigs, one's 32 gigs. Um, and in that is, you know, some hardware variants. So do you see, is it is it possible to consistently have a decentralized uh, open chain where, um, you know, people can continue to run because that 64 gig is going to turn to 128, it's going to turn to 256. Um, do you see it like leveling off the needs, the hardware needs? Lansky and Edu, either either one. You can take that one. Do a alley oop. Okay. Um, I think mainly is going back. I mean, I agree on the on the idea that money is this is the reason for running that these things. Um, I also believe that makes sense because at the end, the people that um, put some value to their time, and if you need to spend one week understanding how to run a node, and you are not going to get nothing more than <laughs> a happiness to be able to do it, maybe it's not enough to have a decentralized network. Um, and related to the hardware consumption, um, yeah, I think, I mean, in the case of Dabnet, it's quite different uh, because we expect people to run several things and, and every day is appearing uh, a new blockchain. So the only way to be able for, for running several is just to try to have a big specs. But we also have an RAM version of Dabnet and if you only want to run Bitcoin and it should be more than enough with an RAM. Um, I think at the end, or my feeling is that in the future with the third knowledge uh, stuff, we are going to be able to generate proof of the state of blockchains and, and be able to have a stateless client. And with that, I hope that in the future, the resources to run a regular node that uh, where that is going to be able to validate transactions and be part of the network is going to be less. Um, maybe we are going to have another uh, role in the network that is this prover that generate the, the proof, but but that's another different thing. It's like we are going to split the the work of the network in different roles, and we are going to have the provers that are going to be are going to make big proofs, but the regular nodes and and the nodes that usually people consumes to validate transactions and to be aware of the status of the network are going to be less expensive. So. I guess that that is the direction that we are going because if we want to achieve this massive uh, transaction per second that a lot of people want, and if we want to go mass adoption in in, in transaction and blockchains, we need to have these new technologies. Otherwise, it's not scalable. I mean, the growing of the hard drive on, on the run is going to be possible to sustain, um, and the only way is to to in, to introduce these new technologies that allow us to decrease the, the hardware requirements. And obviously, at the moment that we are able to decrease the hardware requirements, I, I guess that in the future, more people can run more things and, and sustain more network at the same time. Yeah. Uh, adding on to that, which I agree with everything, um, there are a lot of efforts towards making this accessible within the communities and blockchains that value decentralization, not in the ones that don't value decentralization, of course. But there's been talks about a regenesis, taking a snapshot of the chain and doing a new genesis uh, from that snapshot. There's been talks uh, on uh, on uh, adding a new opcodes for temporary uh, temporary storage. Um, that uh, th there's new opcodes um, being talked about in the Ethereum ecosystem that would allow you to store 
um, data on chain temporarily, just enough time for uh, what a roll up uh, of any kind would like to uh, would like to or would need it to be there, and then just delete it. So all of these measures are meant to reduce the hardware uh, the hardware needs of, uh, uh, of of chain or of validators. Um, stateless clients, as Edu mentioned, is is another one. So there's there are thoughts. This is something that is being talked about, um, and I think maybe we will not get back to a um sort of like really really lightweight well i wish maybe like maybe not maybe not uh, maybe maybe we will go back to something that you just have it in a raspberry pi um my, my first dogecoin no nodes i had to wait for five minutes i had it in my laptop and i had to wait for five minutes to 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 sync again before i wanted to make a transaction but it was mine you know like and it took tops five minutes to to load whenever I wanted to make a transaction. So um, hopefully we can get back to that. I want to ask another question to everybody. Well, not everybody. This is just to you, Edu and Lansky, is that, um, you know, in a world where this tech is, you know, proliferated, everybody loves it, you know, in a world, um, there's going to be a piece of hardware that's in everybody's house or business. Like, for example, I'm looking down right now. It's a fiber modem. I know it's in that thing. But it's allowing us to have this awesome conversation right here. What's in that thing that powers this tech? What's in that box? What what is in there that everybody's gonna need if this stuff grows to the popularity that we want it to? Who knows? You can find more information about Dapnode at dapnode.io. The network layer is up next in our series on blockchain infrastructure. Curtains. <laughs> Close them.